You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. How's that for an epic introduction for today, right? Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey uh, Radiant Church, um, it's been good to be off for just a few weeks. I've had three weekends not having to preach, and I just want to thank you for giving me some time to refresh and for my family to, to get away on some vacation time. Um, definitely good to be back in the house of God and, and preaching. And we are in this series, week number two, entitled Seven, A Letter to the Seven Churches, And if you're new with us, welcome. This is a message series centered around seven letters that Jesus wrote himself to seven different churches that were spread across Asia Minor. And if you, if you were here last week, you were here for Troy's message, and he talked about Jesus's letter to Ephesus, if you remember that. And Jesus calls the church in Ephesus back to their first Love, their first love, that, that first devotion, that first discipleship, that first passion that they had had in the very beginning, Jesus calls them back to it. And in the same way, Jesus would say the same thing to us. Come back. Come back to that first love, that, that first moment when you met God and he transformed your life. And we, we know that Revelation was also um, written by the apostle John, right? It was written by John. John was in Jesus's inner circle, right? We all have an inner circle. We have sort of acquaintances, but we also have people like who are really close to us. So we got James, John, and Peter who were really close to Jesus. John is one of them. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but in the Gospel of John, John actually says this, and he's referring to himself when he says this. John says, the one whom Jesus loved. Maybe you've, you've heard that or read that in one of John's writings. And now, at first glance, when you first read that, it sounds like John is being arrogant, doesn't it? It's like John is saying, hey, um, Jesus doesn't love you clowns, but he loves me a little bit more, right? But that's not what John is trying to do at all. John, rather, is actually saying this. My name is not important. What is important is that the, the, the one, the single most important factor of my life is that I am loved by God in Jesus Christ. I am loved. My identity is wrapped around the love that God has for me in Jesus. Let that be a lesson for all of us today. I can preach on that, but I'm just going to say a few things. Your value, your value doesn't come from the money that you make, Right? Your value doesn't come from the clothes that, that you wear, whether they're designer clothes or they come from Walmart. It doesn't matter, right? Your, your value doesn't come in the possessions that you own, okay? Whether it's a really nice car or it's a junker, okay? That's not where your value comes from. Your value is wrapped up in what? In the fact that God loves you in Jesus Christ. That's where your identity is found, 
And that should be the case for each and every one of us, that we don't have to, to, to cry out to get God's attention. We already have his attention in Jesus. Amen, church? Amen. We have his attention in Jesus. Now, John was the only disciple that was not martyred. He was um, exiled to an island called Patmos by the Roman emperor Domitian, probably the year um, AD 90. And so we, we know this history tells us. And uh, Patmos is just a small Greek island located off of the west coast of Turkey. This is where John writes. You can go ahead and show that map. And you can see Patmos. It's kind of small way down there. But then um, uh, to the right of that, you'll see Turkey. And you'll see the seven different cities that Jesus writes these letters to, okay? Now, here's what I want you to remember as we go through this series. Obviously, this is a seven-week series, of course, seven churches, right? Seven weeks, of course. Here's what I want you to remember. I want you to remember that we're not just kind of studying these historical letters, and we're like, ooh, wow, that's, that's a really cool historical fact. Wow, that's really neat. Wow. No, 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 no. That, that, that's, <laughs> wait a second. No, I want to remind you that these letters transcend all of time. They transcend all of time. Here's what I'm talking about. I'm saying this, the, the, the same issues, right, the same temptations, the same failures, right, the same things that the church in the first century, they were dealing with, that's the same thing that we're battling today, right? So, so when Jesus writes to Ephesus, when Jesus writes to Smyrna, it can be easy to be like, oh, those chumps, I didn't even know any better, right? But we know better. We're 2022, right? No, 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 no. When we hear the words of Jesus in Revelation, we need to take it as Jesus is now, listen, writing to us, right? He's writing to us. So as we read these letters, we must first think, how did these first churches hear these words? And then in light of that, what does that mean for us today? Okay. So we're going to dive right in on Revelation Chapter 2, we're going to read the verses, and today's church is Smyrna, and I'm, I'm going to read those verses. You can follow along behind me, and then we're going to pray, and then we'll dive into the rest of our message today. Sound good, church? Awesome. All right, Revelation 2, beginning in verse 8. Here's what it says. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, in the words of Jesus, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. Pause right there, real quick. Pause right there. In each of the seven letters, I think this is really important, Jesus identifies himself in a different way. Now, in this letter right here, notice what he's saying. He's referring back to Revelation chapter 1, where he says he's the Alpha and the Omega, right? The beginning and the end. But he also says this about himself. I'm the one who died. Yeah, remember the guy who came back to life? That's me, right? I am the resurrection and the life, and the one who believes in me will not taste death, but they will have life for eternity. Jesus sort of identifies himself with this emphasis on eternal life. I want you to hold on to that because that's important as we read the rest of this letter. Notice what Jesus says in verse number nine. He says, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Ouch, right? How, how would you like it if your church was called a synagogue of Satan, right? Not good, right? 
Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Let me talk about that really quick. For 10 days, what does that mean? Well, some commentators and scholars think that 10 days is referring to Daniel and the testing of Daniel. Now, other scholars believe that this number 10 is simply sort of this random number to indicate a temporary amount of time. Just like when you go to the grocery store and you say, you say to your wife or your husband, I'll be back in a few minutes, honey, or I'll be back in, in just a moment, or whatever it is. You're not actually saying, right, two exact minutes. You just know. You're telling them that you'll be back soon, probably within the hour. It's meant to represent this temporary amount of of time. And so Jesus says, you're going to suffer 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. And he says this, whoever has ears, reminiscent of Mark chapter 4, by the way, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In other words, this is what Jesus means. Everybody's got these, right? You got ears? I hope you got ears. I got ears. You got ears, right? We got that in common. But not everybody has spiritual ears. So Jesus says, if you have ears to hear, I want you to hear this. And that's what he says in Mark chapter 4. It's the parable of the sower. Same message. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be her at all by the second death. Let's take a few moments and let's pray. And then we're going to dive right into the rest of our message today. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for... Um, just the work that you're already doing here, your presence, God. I've just, I've, I've, I've felt your presence, God, in such a significant way, Lord, and just sensed that you might, that you want to make radiant a resting spot for your presence, God. What an honor that would be, Lord, that we could be a resting spot for your presence, that we could host your presence, God. Lord, would you, um, this morning, would you open blind eyes? Would you unlock deaf ears? Soften the hardest of hearts, God. For those of us in here who um, we're just trying to figure out if this is like for us or not, if, if Christian faith is legitimate or not, um, Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you might uh, just draw those people to you and that you might open their eyes, that you might reveal yourself in a very powerful and significant and personal way. Father, I pray that you are glorified in uh, the preaching and teaching of your word, Lord, and again, that you might just transform hearts in our presence today. We love you, and we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I'm sure uh, many of you have had the wonderful opportunity of visiting a dentist. Uh, maybe you've had the opportunity to receive a filling, or even better yet, to receive a root canal, right? Wow, lucky you. Uh, several years ago, um, I had to have a root canal. I'm not going to explain to you what it is because I don't remember, okay? Uh, but I was living in Grand Rapids at the time, and to get a root canal was very expensive. And at the time, uh, my uncle was a dentist here in Bay City. He's now retired. He just retired a couple of years ago. So I called my uncle up, and I said, hey, I need a root canal. You, you think you can help me out here? He's like, I'll do it, and I'll save you like 500 bucks. And I was like, yes and Amen. I'm on my way to Bay City, right? So I drove to Bay City for a day to have this root canal um, by my uncle. And I don't remember a whole lot about the procedure. It was almost an hour long or so, about 40 minutes. It was 45 minutes maybe. 
But I do remember this, that there is local anesthesia applied in the procedure. I don't know if you've ever received local anesthesia, but uh, I have, and some of you have before. But it works really quickly, right? It works really quickly. So within a minute, like, like a literal minute, my mouth is open, and he's like ready to dive in. And he's got that, that scraper thing, you know, like, a, like that pickaxe against a, a glacier, right, in Antarctica, just like going after my gums. Like, so, you know, he numbs my mouth, obviously, and, and my, um, you know, my gums are numb. And then he starts to work on my mouth, and I go, ah, because right, that's numb, right? I'm like, ow. He's like, you, you, you felt that? I'm, uh-huh, uh-huh. He's like, all right, hold on. Bam, another big old shot, just boom. I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me, another shot? And so finally, right, it kicks in. Everything is good. I'm completely numb, and my uncle begins to, to go at it, to go, go to work on this root canal. Again, I don't remember what that means, but it's something really important. So, and so about 35, 40 minutes into it, you know, you just, man, you know, you know, when you do those procedures, you're uncomfortable. You're, you're thinking to yourself, when is this going to be over? You know what I mean? And um, about 35, 40 minutes into it, he says to me this, and I, and I, and I love it. He says, hold on for just a little longer. Um, we'll be done soon. Right? Hold on just a little longer. This will be over soon. Right? Now, maybe you've had a similar um, procedure, like an outpatient procedure um, where you've had this local anesthesia applied, and maybe uh, you didn't feel any pain. You knew, though, that if you didn't have the local anesthesia, you would feel pain. But the whole thing is uncomfortable. Like, you know, and for me, myself, if I could just be honest and vulnerable, I, I, don't, I just don't dig the, the, the doctor's office, right? Like, I walk in, I'm like, like like, I don't want to be here. Like, can you just hurry up? I fight my wife. You should go to the doctor. Eh, well, I don't know what that means. Oh, okay, okay. Right. No comprende, right? And so, uh, and so for me, when I hear those words, right, when I hear, when my doctor or when my dentist says to me, hey, hold on just a little longer. This will be over soon. Um, it brings me a lot of comfort, right? It brings me a lot of comfort because I know I can hold on for just a few more minutes, I can do this, right? And soon I will be at home resting on my recliner like I should be, right? And all will be well. Now, this is a little bit like the message of Christ for the church in Smyrna. Hold on just a little longer, okay? It's going to be over soon. Hold on for just a little longer, It'll be over soon. And here's the kicker. Jesus says, remain faithful to death. Remain faithful to death. It's like Jesus is saying, hey, hold on just a little bit more. I know you're uncomfortable. I know this is painful right now. It's like Jesus is saying, listen, I know that you've grown weary in doing good. You're you're tired of doing the right thing. No, no, no. Keep going, right? Hold on just a little longer. It's going to be over soon, right? It's going, to, it's going to come to pass. So just remain faithful. Remain faithful to the point even of death. We'll talk about that more today. Did you know this, that the word Smyrna means bitter? And it comes, it's related to the word myrrh. 
Now, this city, Smyrna, is still actually a real community. It's called Izmir. You can look it up on Google. It's located in the same place in, in Turkey. And originally, it was founded by the Greeks, but it was taken over by the Romans, and it was rebuilt by Alexander the Great before being a part of the Ottoman Empire in the 15th century. So this is a real city. It's known as Izmir now. Now, the church at Smyrna was severely persecuted, and we know that because the context tells us, we go back and when we read that, Jesus says, right, I know your affliction, I know your poverty. And why were they persecuted? Well, they they were persecuted because this church, these believers in Smyrna, refused to compromise their faith in Jesus Christ. They refused to say that, that Caesar is Lord. They refused to hail Caesar as king. Now, in that day and age in the Roman Empire, if you refused to hail Caesar as Lord, you were um, excluded from the marketplace. So what does that mean? Well, it means this. You were not allowed to buy and sell. And so what that means most likely is two things, unemployment and poverty, right? Unemployment and poverty. In fact, Jesus, in verse number nine, uses these very, very strong words, these Greek words for affliction and poverty. Did you know this? I looked it up. The word affliction literally means, church, to be pressed or to be squashed. Like, think about this, like, like when you squash a bug in your kitchen, right? And Jesus, it's like, it's like Jesus is saying, I know that you're feeling the pressure. I know it feels like you're being squashed. I know it feels like you're being pressed on every corner. And stay faithful. Stay faithful. The Greek word that he uses for poverty actually means abject poverty, meaning literally extreme poverty Possessing nothing. Possessing nothing. Affliction and poverty. This is the state of the church in Smyrna. Jesus says, I see you. I know what you're going through. And can I just tell you, these Christians had every reason to compromise, right? Because check this out. If you were to compromise and you were to hail Caesar as Lord... Well, that probably meant you received, like, you could receive food, okay? I I don't know about you, but I like to eat. You probably like to eat. And so, I mean, that's going to be tempting. Like, if I just say, you're saying, if I just say Caesar is Lord, I can can have the steak, the baked potato, right? And and, and, and the the, the tots with the cheese and the bacon. I'm getting some of you hungry. I'll stop, right? But if I just say Caesar is Lord, I can have that? You can have that. If I, if, if I just say Caesar is Lord, you can buy and sell again. I can participate in society. I, I can? Well, maybe I should, I should think about that. But here's the thing. These Christians, instead of bowing to the demands of the state, they stayed faithful to the faith, right, in the face of persecution and even death, even death. If you remember from our series in Acts, you might remember that much of the persecution that we see in the early church comes from who? It's not non-believers. It's actually Jewish people. 
And so Jesus says in these verses, hey, I know that some of the Jews who say they're Jews are not really Jews. In other words, they're not spiritual Jews. This idea of um, faith in Christ, this idea of, of circumcision of the heart. I think Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 9, this idea of being a spiritual Jew. And Jesus is saying, hey, some of you in that, all of you in that congregation are not really Jews. Rather, that's a synagogue of Satan. Oh, well, thank you, Jesus, right? Wow. Not, not, a, not an encouraging message, but Jesus calls those Jewish people out who are persecuting those Christians. And then we get to verse number 10, and we'll look at that again. Here is the encouragement to the church. Here's what Jesus says. He says this, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil, so he's attributing this persecution to who? To the devil, I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison and what? And test you. It's for a test. You will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Okay? So I want you to to notice that there there are two commands that really encompass this encouragement. There are two commands. The first command is do not be afraid. Do not be fearful, Right? That is written probably over 300 times in the scripture. In fact, uh, many have said that this command, do not be afraid, is written over 300 times. In fact, that there's, there's a do not command for every single day of the year, or a, a do not fear command for every single day of the year. The second command is what? Be faithful. Do not be afraid. Be faithful, and not just faithful like, you know, just regular old faithfulness. Jesus says, to the point of death, to the point of death. That's incredibly specific. If there was ever a time that the church needed this message, I think it's today. It's a timeless message. Here it is. Wait for it. Do not be afraid and be faithful. In fact, if that's all you get, like you, you got what you were supposed to hear this morning, don't be afraid, whatever you're going through, and be faithful. I know you're worried about your future. I know you're worried about how you're going to do this thing, or how the bills are going to be paid, or what she's going to say, what he's going to do. Don't be afraid and stick with me. Come on, someone, that will preach, right? Don't be afraid and be faithful to Jesus. It's so simple, yet it's so difficult for many of us to really to follow. We overcomplicate the message of Christ. Today, he would say to you, don't be afraid. Be faithful. I want to show or share with you just a few stories, just three, it'll be quick, of some faithful men throughout history. Some of these people you have heard of, and some of these, my guess is that you've never heard of them, okay? They were faithful to the point of death. The first one is this is Polycarp. He's an early church father. He was the bishop of guess where? Smyrna. Smyrna, right? And he lived during AD 69 through 155. Check this out. Historians tell us that Polycarp was alive at the same time as some of the 12 apostles. This guy was legitimately a leader in the early church, okay? He's a leader in the early church, Now, his death is recorded in this ancient document known as the Martyrdom 
of Polycarp. I have access to it. I just discovered that I have it on my software program, and I was reading through it. It's insane, okay? It's amazing, okay? It's written in Greek, so um, you have to translate it in order to read it, but my, you know, my computer does that. So one of the most remarkable things about Polycarp is his fortitude he displays in the midst or in the face of persecution and death. Let me just give you a couple of examples quick. For example, Polycarp, when threatened, when threatened to repent or be attacked by wild beasts, Polycarp's the, 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 the uh, proconsul to repent and turn to Christ. When Polycarp is threatened with fire, Polycarp warns the proconsul of the fires of judgment. This dude had, I mean, he was like, you know what I'm talking about, right? When threatened or in the midst of these threats comes this line from Polycarp. Here's what it says. For 86 years, I've been his servant, and he has done me no wrong. Come on, someone. What? How can I blaspheme my king? Save me. It's from the letter of Martyrdom of Polycarp, 9-3. Shortly after saying these words, right, church tradition tells us that Polycarp was tied to a stake and they attempted to burn him alive. But when the flames would not miraculously consume his body, they stabbed him to death. There's a man was faithful to the point of death. There's Andrew. Andrew, you might know a little bit more about Andrew because he's found in the New Testament. Andrew was the brother of who? Peter. And they were both fishermen until they became disciples. Well, history again tells us that Andrew, he traveled along the shores um, of the Black Sea and he traveled to places like Greece and Turkey, proclaiming um, the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, when he gets to Greece, the governor of Greece orders Andrew to renounce his faith and stop preaching. Andrew says, ain't going to happen. Sorry. Try someone else. So because of that, he's sentenced to death to crucifixion on a cross. Now, just like Peter, Andrew does not see it fit that he should die in the same manner of his Lord. So they turn the cross. Or, uh, there's an X shape, and Andrew is bound on this X shape form, and he's killed there. There's a man faithful to the point of death. Let me give you one more. Finally, finally, there is a man named Ignatius of Antioch. Now, Antioch should sound familiar because we've covered that. Uh, it's in Syria. It became the new, the, the new, after Jerusalem, Antioch was the hub of Christianity, okay? That's where, like, all the church leaders, like, they, they went back there. Uh, Paul, Paul would come back to Antioch, then travel to Jerusalem. Those were, like, the two places, the hubs of Christianity. And so, listen, Ignatius was a bishop in Antioch, and check this out. He was born in A.D., let me look again, A.D. 35, approximately five years after the death of Jesus. So Ignatius was this, considered one of the earliest martyrs of the post-apostolic era. 
As soon as the apostles had, had died, I mean, he's like the earliest martyr. Now, he was probably arrested on charge of atheism. Now, you're thinking, atheism? What? He, uh, hello, he was, a, he was a Christian. No, here's what I'm talking about. He renounced the Roman gods. So they claimed him, right? They, they, they called him to be an atheist. So he was taken from Antioch to Rome, and he was escorted by 10 Roman soldiers. At nearly every stop, he would meet with a church leader, and he began to pen these letters with the help of a secretary. Now, what came out of that were seven letters in history that, that this uh, a church father wrote that we can actually refer to today that give proof of the, of the Christian faith. It's incredible. Guess what one of the letters who they went to? Smyrna. <laughs> one of the letters was addressed to the Smyrnians, right? According to, the, to tradition, Ignatius of Antioch, he dies October 17th, 107 A.D., from an attack from fierce lions in a Roman Colosseum. They ripped them apart. Here's what Ignatius of Antioch wrote. Check this out. He says this, Nearness to the sword is nearness to God. To be among the wild beasts is to be in the arms of God. Only let it be in the name of Jesus Christ. I endure all things that I may suffer together with him, since he who became perfect man strengthens me. What? What? Who writes that? Who thinks that way? Did you say, I mean, did you read that? To be near to the sword is to be near to God. To be among the wild beasts is to be in the arms of God. Listen, Ignatius was not like just a man who wanted to emulate Jesus, like in his holiness and godliness. Like that's a good thing. But Ignatius was a man who said, if Jesus was tortured and, 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 and was executed, I want that too. I want to follow in those footsteps. Ignatius wanted to die in the same way. I mean, like, okay, it's one thing to love Jesus and follow him, but it's one another whole thing to be like, I want to go down that way. Nah, I don't know about that. What? This man here that we see, listen, is faithful to death. As I was going through these stories this week, I just felt like the Holy Spirit prompted me, and I wrote it down, and, and, and I simply wrote down this. It's a question. I wonder what my story will be. Like if people could read about my story. I wonder what your story will be at the end. I'm talking about at the end, right? What will your story look like? And listen, I pray. My, I do pray. I pray that persecution of that kind doesn't come to the, to the U.S., although I know that we're going to we're facing pressure already. I pray it doesn't come in that way. But can I just tell you, I also pray this prayer. And the prayer is very simple. And I want you to steal it from me. Here's the prayer. God, keep me faithful. God, keep me faithful. I wonder if this today, if you're watching online, I wonder if, this, if you could make this your prayer as well. 
I wonder if you would join me in that prayer. God, keep me faithful. God, keep me faithful in the midst of a culture that idolizes sex. God, keep me faithful uh, in the midst of a, of a culture where so many have been captured by the worship and the love of money. God, would you, would you keep me faithful? Listen, uh, when, when it seems like a lot of my friends are, are falling away, some of my family doesn't really believe in Jesus anymore, God, keep me faithful, right? But the, my friends who I love, are, 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 some of my family members, they're not following Jesus. I, I, I want them to. I, I, I pray for them. But, but God, keep me faithful, right? Keep me faithful. And as I've given you these examples of these, these great men, these great men of God who have been faithful to death, let me now ask you this question. And, and, and listen, your response to this question, um, it's going to look different. Some of you, it's going to look like repentance. Some of you, it's going to mean you're going to be praying with some of us today after service. Some of you, it means that there's going to be a, 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 a radical change in the direction of your life, okay? Here's the, here's the question that I want, to, I want to leave you with as you leave, as you reflect, as we take these last few moments together in a, in a, in a, in a spirit, a posture of worship, of humility. Here's the question I want to ask you. What's the one thing that prevents you from being faithful? What's the one thing that prevents you from being faithful? And then number two, what's your next step? Because you can answer it, but until you take an, another step, it doesn't mean anything. All it means is that you've thought about it. But faith is always exhibited by action in the New Testament. Can I just ask you today, listen, I want you to hear my heart here, church, because I know all of us are not in the same place, and that's okay. I expect that. I want to ask you right now, what's the one thing that prevents you from being faithful to God? Where you're like, well, it's, 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 it's my job right now, and everybody doesn't believe like me. It's my boyfriend. He's, he's pressuring me to, to, to do things that I, I know I shouldn't be doing. It, it's, it's money. I, want, I just want money, more money. It's going to solve all my problems. I, I don't know what it is. What, what, what's your one thing that prevents you from being faithful? Because if, if we're honest, my guess, listen, my guess is that some of you, you're, you're kind of on that fence, if you know what I mean, right? You're, you're teetering from one spot to another. Depending on when I ask you how you're doing, some days you're kind of in the world, right? Other days you're more with Jesus. Some days you're more in the world. You're kind of you're doing what everybody else does. Some days you're like, oh, I love Jesus. Some days you're like, who's Jesus, right? If, if we're just honest, I, I, man, I think that's a few of you here today. You're just, you're on that finger. You're teetering from one to the other. You keep going back and forth, back and forth. And I think the message for you today is, listen, stay faithful. Stay faithful. Stop teetering, right? Go all into the gospel. Go all into the message of Jesus Christ. If you're here today, listen, and you're wondering, is this for me? 
It's for you. It is for you. Christ, listen, took our place on the cross. He lived a life that we could not live. He died the death that we deserve. He went to the cross in our place to forgive us of our sin. Three days later, he was resurrected. Now he sits at the right hand of God. And one day, Jesus will come to judge the living and the dead. He's coming back. All right. Will he find his church faithful? As we close today, I want you to just reflect upon that. What's the one thing, if you're, if you're, that, if you're on that fence, you're going back and forth, back and forth. Why? Why do you keep doing that? What are you afraid of? Let me just ask you that. What are you so afraid of? I think that's what it is. Maybe that's just the Holy Spirit right now speak, prophetically speaking to me. What are you so afraid of? And maybe you need to take that to the Lord and ask him and have him search your heart. Have him reveal himself to you. What's the one thing prevents you from being faithful to Christ? It's your next step. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for uh, today, God. We celebrate your presence here. Lord, um, you've called us to be faithful to the point of death, even to death, Lord. And so our heart's cry is, God, keep me faithful. God, we know that some of us are, are already under pressure, already experiencing the backlash of a, of a society that doesn't acknowledge you. Help them to be faithful. Lord, in so many ways, it would be easier to just compromise our faith it would be easier because we could pay some bills. It would be easier because maybe it would allow us to feel good about ourselves for a few minutes. Maybe it would feel good uh, physically. I don't, I don't know, Lord, what people's situation is. But Father, I pray that you would give us the spine to remain faithful. God, would you strengthen us today? Would you remind us that there is the promise that you'll give us life and you'll give us the victor's crown. And Lord, today, as a body of Christ, we say we want that crown more than anything else. We want it more than popularity. God, we want it more than being accepted. We want it more than, than money, Lord. We want it more than possessions. God, we want the victor's crown that you promised us, God. So keep us faithful. God, would Radiant Church, would we might be found faithful at your return, God? A people praying and seeking you, God. Find us faithful. We need you, Lord. We can't do this on our own. So come, Holy Spirit, and work. Stir our hearts' affections for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Listen.